Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. You're listening to GCN. Great talk radio starts here. KCAA Loma Linda. with this AM 1050 News Update. Three people have been killed in two separate motorcycle wrecks in the Inland Empire. The accidents happened Wednesday, one near Indio and the other near Lake Arrowhead. Two people were killed and three others injured when a motorcycle and a truck collided on Dillon Road in Sky Valley. Another person died in an accident involving a bike and two cars on Highway 18 at Delta Avenue. The victims' names have not been released. Five people are under arrest in connection with running a pricey pot farm in a remote area south of Hemet. Sheriff's deputies stumbled upon the three-acre parcel in the community of Sage on Tuesday. They found some 200 pot plants and 100 pounds of dried marijuana with a street value of $1 million. The men, who ranged in age from 19 to 23 years old, were arrested and placed on immigration holds. Here's the latest from Inland Empire News Radio. I'm Jim Nitz. Opening statements have been given on the trial of a Riverside man for the cold case murders of two Victorville men in 1991. Octavio Romero once lived with one of the victims. He was arrested earlier this year. Four areas around Riverside and Meat Valley are being treated for the Asian citrus psyllid. Owners of 5,000 properties are being notified as an all-out effort to control the past has been mounted. Spokesman Steve Lyle at the State Office of Food and Agriculture says it is a two-pronged approach which began last December with the release of a tiny parasitic wasp at UC Riverside. The objective is to uh, reach a point, if at all possible, where you're relying less on pesticides and more on a biological approach. Psyllid poses one of the worst threats ever to California's citrus industry. It's been 10 years since a bark beetle infestation began a sweep through the San Bernardino National Forest, killing millions of trees. 
Fire Marshal Peter Briarty has persuaded county supervisors to renew the emergency that began a decade ago. People are constantly wondering about it, even though we have rain and we have, may have snow. Uh, the bark beetle is gone, has been gone for a while, but the bark beetle triggered this emergency. That declaration freed up millions of dollars in federal funds to remove dead trees and thin the forest. Also, an aggressive campaign was mounted to help diminish the fire danger. So it, li- it reduces our permit requirements and it reduces the time frames necessary to accomplish those tasks. So it is very important to us, but trust me, the sooner I can get it off this agenda, I will do that. The emergency, though, likely to continue for the rest of the fiscal year. More damage has been discovered in the aftermath of flooding that inundated parts of the lower Coachella Valley earlier this month. The floodwaters have receded, revealing mud and debris damage to several mobile homes. Legendary singer Andy Williams has died. Moon River, wider than a mile. I'm crossing you in style. Andy Williams was one of the most popular vocalists of the 1960s and beyond. Williams was well known for his Christmas television specials. This really is the most wonderful time of the year, and I'm uh, I'm glad that you could share a part of it with me tonight. My special guests are Laurie Morgan and the Osmond Williams had three children with French-born dancer Claudine Langer. The couple divorced, and 16 years later, Williams married Debbie Meyer. Williams has died of bladder cancer at Branson, Missouri, where he performed at the Moon River Theater. He was 84. This is Inland Fire News Radio. From the KCAA Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Steve Norris. Overnight, mostly clear in the low of 64, sunny and 94 this afternoon. Thursday night looks clear in 67. Friday, a mostly sunny day with a high of 95. And the low Friday night, 68 with clear skies. Moving into Saturday, look for sunshine and hotter, a high of 97. And Sunday, it jumps all the way up to 101 under mostly sunny skies. No rain in the forecast. At your weather forecast this hour from the station that leaves no listener behind, NBC News. Radio, AM 1050, KCAA. Temecula City officials are poised to announce a modest budget surplus. The city pulled in more than $2.7 million over expenses last fiscal year, which ended on June 30th. City Finance Director Jeannie Wilson says the surplus was thanks to higher-than-expected revenues and savings in various departments. You're up to date. I'm Brett Malick on the Inland Talk Express and your radio home for University of Redlands Bulldogs football. AM 1050 and KCAARadio.com. Welcome to today's edition of Culture Shocks. This is Barry Lynn. Uh, you know that I don't approve of the death penalty in any cases, no matter who the victim is, no matter who the criminal is. I am opposed to capital punishment. Some people, however, are opposed to the use of capital punishment only for one reason, and that is the essential problem that sometimes the state doesn't get it right. It tries, it convicts, and sometimes it executes the wrong person. Now, as we've also said on previous shows, DNA evidence is sometimes what generates uh, the evidence for the falsely accused. It is not usually the key factor. 
sometimes it's not even involved at all. Having said that, reminded ourselves and others of this, DNA testing in not just capital murder cases, but in rape cases, even sometimes in robbery cases, it's been a critical factor for the defense. My guest today is Professor Brandon Garrett. He is a professor of law at the University of Virginia. And he has done a book called Convicting the Innocent, a book about the first 250 persons exonerated for various crimes by the use of DNA. Professor Garrett, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Listen, uh, the very first person we meet in this book is a man named Ronald Jones, who confessed to the rape and murder of a young woman in Chicago. Confessed, described the crime in detail, still turns out to be innocent. I suspect there's some of my listeners who say, look, why, who in their right or wrong mind would confess to a felony if he didn't have anything to do with it? There's something amazing about that confession. Uh, we've all seen, you know, on the Internet word clouds, yeah. right, where the, the biggest words are the ones that appear the most often. Yep. Um, so I did a word cloud of his confession statement, Ronald Jones's confession statement. And what's amazing about this word cloud is that huge in the cloud are the words, yes, sir. Mm. Almost all that he was saying when he was being asked these questions, and that's at the end of a long interrogation when they type up a formal statement, was yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. He was innocent. He falsely confessed, but he was extremely polite. Mm. What was also interesting is when you look around the yes, sir, in the middle, smack dab in the middle of this word cloud, you start to see these other key words uh, about key details about how the crime happened. The Crest Hotel, this abandoned hotel where the body was found, uh, the blood, the open window. Uh, and so, you know, when the jury heard about this false confession, you know, he took the stand. He denied it. He said, that confession, you know, the police beat me. Uh, they interrogated me. They wore me down. Uh, I, I recant. The jury didn't believe him. No. And why, why would they? Because sure. the police said, look, this guy said a lot of yes, sir, but he also told us details about the crime that only the killer could have known. And so mm -hmm. everyone thought that this crime uh, had been solved and that the confession itself was bulletproof until, lo and behold, years later, there's DNA done, and it absolutely matches someone else. Yeah, and of course, when you say, who would know, says the jury, as it's thinking about it, who would know these details but the person who committed the crime? And the answer is, there is somebody else who knows, and that's the police. And that's the police. This is also a, a case, and there are a bunch of other ones, including really high-profile ones like the Central Park Jogger case, yep. where they took him back to the crime scene to walk him through it. And what the police said was, yeah, yeah, he told us at the scene. He pointed things out to us uh, and and showed us where the pool of blood was and where the victim's body was. But, of course, taking someone back to the scene like that would also be a pretty good way to show them all the facts of the crime uh, in the hopes that they would, you know, repeat that stuff back sure. in a confession statement. So. Once this exoneration occurs, DNA is done, it is clear somebody else did this crime. Mr. Jones was not the perpetrator of this crime. When someone, including him, is exonerated by DNA, then how long is the process from the point where the DNA exonerates him and his release from prison? Well, it, it, can even, it could take long. Uh, it can take some time even just to get the DNA, and that was an mm -hmm. interesting thing about his case, too, was that initially... The judge said, you know, what issue could possibly be resolved by DNA testing? Mm. You know, there's no point to doing DNA here. The guy confessed. And so it took him a while to even get the testing. Um, 
and uh, and then, and then once he got the DNA, it took a while for the prosecutors to drop the charges, and uh, it, it took about uh, about two years. Two years, and in some and that was, cases, that was typical. That was about the average amount of time yeah. between DNA test and finally getting the exoneration. Is this because of the process of the justice system just being slow, or is it that the prosecutor doesn't want to admit that he or she made a mistake in the first place? Maybe some of both. And, and this was also the late 90s when DNA was a little bit newer. I think, you know, in general, prosecutors around the country are, are much more open to reopening cases, and they realize the power of DNA. They realize that the DNA could help them find the guilty person. And so, you know, you have more recent cases where it takes a lot less time, sure. where prosecutors join the motion and agree right away to right. do the DNA testing. You know, but this this is not a case like no. that. Here, uh, the prosecutors really kind of dragged their feet for some time deciding what they wanted to do, and they ultimately decided, come on, we can't try this guy again. No jury is going to convict this guy no. if there's a new trial. No. To do this research on Mr. Jones and 249 other cases, you cull through court transcripts. Uh, I just happened to have spent two days last week on a civil jury in, in Maryland. The process involved a, about eight hours of testimony and video depositions of doctors and arguments from the lawyers. Um, in fact, it would probably take at least that long, you know, to read everything just from that one-and-a-half-day trial, and that assuming you didn't go into a coma, which if you had read the trial transcript of what I had to sit through, you probably would have. But how long does it take to go through 250 whole transcripts and all the documents and exhibits? This must have taken you a heck of a long time. It takes a long time. This book was many years in the making. It takes a long time just to try to locate trial materials from old cases. And, you know, my goal was to say something about why did these innocent people get convicted. We read a lot of news stories that come out, you know, when someone is freed by DNA because it's really dramatic. Sure. Uh, but often those news stories don't say a lot about how they got convicted in the first place. They may mention there was a confession or an eyewitness who got it wrong. I wanted to see, you know, how did that confession get litigated in court? Mm-hmm. What did the eyewitness say in the courtroom? And to do that, you know, you really need to, to read the original records. But sometimes the original court reporters who had the documents, you know, have passed away or retired. Courthouses don't don't always keep this stuff. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I didn't get transcripts for all 250, but I got it for, you know, more than 200 of them. Yep. Some of them have pleaded guilty and they didn't have a trial. Sure. But actually, for most of those, I got hearing transcripts because most of them actually had some hearings. You know, they tried to suppress the confession, keep it out of the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Once the judge said it's coming in, only then did they plead guilty. So I actually got, you know, trial or hearing records for just a huge number of these exactly. people. Yeah, you mentioned the eyewitnesses, and, of course, one of the astonishing figure of many astonishing figures in convicting the innocent is the fact that 36% of the exonerees were identified not by one, but by two or three or even as many as five witnesses. How does this happen absent collusion between the so-called witnesses? Well, in most of the cases, there's no reason to think that there was collusion. Uh, but I think people, you know, people could understand how maybe someone could make a mistake and confuse someone they saw. You know, especially it's hard to remember the faces of strangers. Sure. Uh, but you know, the prosecutors would say at trials like that, "Come on, maybe one person uh, could mistake the face of a stranger." But two, three, four people—they're not going to make the same mistake. What are the chances of that happening? Really powerful evidence. Yes. But if they were all shown the same flawed lineup, say, where if the defendant mm-hmm. stood out. 
he was innocent, but he was the only one in the lineup who looked like the attacker. Exactly. They would all make the same mistake. And we, and we can talk more about how, the sure. right way to do lineups. Well, let's do but, that. In, but, it, but trials like that, you know, those trials like that are not boring. No. I, I stayed awake reading these trials. That's good. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, you read these trials and you stay awake at night, too. Yeah. Uh, and, my, and my students really enjoyed reading these trials. Sure. A lot of law students sure. never read an entire criminal trial when they're in law school. No, that's correct. And then. so over the years... You know, my students just had a wonderful time pouring through these records, helping me, uh, you know, Good. code them well, and analyze I, them. It was a great, great experience for them, too. What I'd like to do is uh, we've got to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk more about eyewitness misidentifications. A huge problem. What could we do to rectify it? How much of it is bad memory? How much is worse? That is suggestive procedures by the police in particular. We'll be back for more with Brandon Garrett in a minute on Culture Shocks. This is Elaine McFadden inviting you to join me for Smart Health Talk on Thursdays, 4 to 5 p.m., right here on KCAA Radio, 1050 a.m. Smart Health Talk offers the kind of information that can save your life and save you money, making sure you're getting the biggest smart health bang for your buck. We'll keep you up to date on the latest in nutrition, health, and what it takes to keep your home safe for you and your family. Remember, tune in every Thursday, 4 to 5 p.m. for Smart Health Talk, KCAA Radio, 1050 a.m. Hey folks, Jerry Gusman here. It's a fact the economy is making it very difficult for families to keep up with their financial obligations. This past year, I have helped so many distressed homeowners that were behind on their mortgage payments avoid foreclosure, salvage their credit, and took away all the frustrations of dealing with their bank. If you're behind on your house payments, contact us today for a free consultation at 888-213-4208. Let us help you by providing the right information and guidance to achieve a real solution to your mortgage default. Refinance, loan modification, bankruptcy, short sale can all be alternatives. See which option is best for you. And our services are always free. You never pay anything. Take the first step to securing your family's future. Call me at 888-213-4208 or visit us online at www.thegusmangroup.com. The Gusman Group, where Southern California's premier foreclosure prevention specialists. Are you working harder than ever at your job, but find yourself getting nowhere? Do you hate spending hundreds of dollars every week on daycare, having someone else raise your children? With our free information, you can lead a happier life, work from home, and start earning money as soon as next week. I was a, a traditional business owner, and our business was affected greatly by the economy, so we were looking for another income stream. It allowed me to actually walk away from a 16-year career and part owner in a traditional business just after eight months. Go to freedom105.com, get out of the rat race, work from home, and start earning great money as soon as next week. I'm a single mom. Before this business, I was over $90,000 in credit card debt alone. And now we go to Disneyland, Disney World. We've been on vacations to Hawaii. I never could have done that before this business. Go to freedom105.com right now and change your life today. That's freedom, the number 105.com, freedom105.com, and start earning great money as soon as next week. Maryland license number 0016985. Michigan license number 5. Does this sound familiar? You have some credit card debt that you're struggling to pay each month, and you've already called one or more of those places that advertise. If you've got more than $10,000 of credit card debt. And now, you're getting calls and emails from all kinds of companies making all kinds of claims, but don't offer you any real help. Is that kind of what you're going through? 
Well, it's time for you to make just one more call to Credit Guard. Credit Guard is a nonprofit company that's helped tens of thousands of Americans cut their monthly payments by up to half, and they can help you too. Whether you have $2,000 of debt or $200,000, it doesn't matter. Call Credit Guard for real help right now. 1-800-268-8608. That's 1-800-268-8608. Credit Guard will help you reduce your debt. Call 1-800-268-8608. That's 1-800-268-8608. Call right now. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the runway? You know, the fun. Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah! No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. Call 1-800-956-4545 today. That's 1-800-956-4545. Call 1-800-956-4545 now. Looking to save up to 50% on home improvement materials? Stop by the Habitat for Humanity Restore in Redlands, your discount home improvement store. We sell home goods such as furniture, appliances, building materials, and tools at a fraction of the retail cost. And all the proceeds help fund the construction of Habitat homes within the community. We're just off the Mountain View exit on the 10 freeway. Call us at 909-799-6738 or go to www.habitatforhumanity.net. The Restore gladly accepts donations and is always looking for volunteers. You're listening to Culture Shocks with Barry Lynn on the Genesis Communication Network. back with uh, Professor Brandon Garrett. He's the Roy Allen Rosamund Woodruff Morgan Professor of Law at the University of Virginia, out with a book called Convicting the Innocent, an assessment of the first 250 people, not all murder uh, was, uh, regards to the underlying crime, even a few robberies, lots of rapes, exonerated by DNA evidence. And we've been talking about eyewitness misidentification. Some people just, you know, don't really pay that much attention when they see somebody. Uh, They can't really describe that person. And sometimes uh, prosecutors are really happy to find two witnesses or so-called witnesses who misidentify the same person. Could be just poor eyesight. You know, it could have happened in the dark. But it could also, Professor, be bad memory or even false memory. There are a number of cases you talk about involving hypnosis where a so-called witness was hypnotized and all of a sudden remembered all kinds of stuff. Is hypnosis still used? in prosecution of these cases? No, those are, those are you know, pretty oh. notorious cases. Yep. There are a few cases where these innocent people were convicted after the, uh, the key witnesses were hypnotized, and yep. that's no longer a tolerated practice. In fact, it was even suspect at the time, and in, in a couple of the cases, it was actually hidden from the defense and the court 
that the police had used hypnosis. So really, really disturbing cases. Right. Uh, fortunately, uh, police don't you know go around hypnotizing witnesses anymore. No, well that's good to know. That's good to know because in in so much of this evidence, and we'll get into this in a little more detail later, but uh, there are good scientific conclusions one can draw from doing good scientific studies, but then there's stuff that's far more, uh, shall we say, on the edge of confidence. And if you're talking about convicting someone and sending him or her away to jail for 20 years or life or executing them, the science behind it ought to be good, and the science behind hypnosis uh, was highly suspect and creating sometimes false memories, as they're called. But you also talk about suggestive procedures. That is, the way that you do a lineup or the photo array when you're saying, do any of these people look familiar? That is still a problem with prosecutors and with the police, right? Yeah, it doesn't take hypnosis nope. or badgering the witness to get to get someone to pick out an innocent man or woman in a lineup. Our memories of strangers are just so malleable. Uh, you know, I think we all know that it's really hard to remember the faces of strangers that we see. It takes, you know, even, you know, sometimes distant family members, it's a little bit hard to remember exactly what they look like. Mm -hmm. uh, but we figure we'd recognize them because we've seen them so many times. Yep. But, you know, we, it happens every day. You know, you, you walk up to someone, you start to say hi to them, and then it turns out to be somewhat awkward because you, you didn't know them at all. That's right. Uh, and uh, But I think all of us figure, okay, fine. You know, in our day-to-day -day lives, it's hard to remember the faces of strangers. But if it was a crime, if I was concentrating on that face because I knew it was important, and if the police tested my memory with a lineup, then, you know, then we can be pretty sure maybe that that this is the right one. Uh, and that turns out not to be true. The memory of eyewitnesses is really malleable. Now, yep. we have shockingly good memory of the faces of strangers, given how many strangers we can see every day. Mm -hmm. But that memory can be lost if a bad lineup is used. Well, give me an idea about a bad lineup and a bad photo array, one where even appeals courts look at and say, look, you can't do things this way. Well, actually, what I think is most interesting, right, there are obvious bad ones. Right, there's the case of Marvin Anderson in Virginia, where he was the only color photograph in the photo array. And so his really stood out. Uh, and, in fact, there was an earlier photo array which had a picture of the guy who actually had committed the rape, we now know. And, and the, uh, the victim didn't identify it. But Marvin Anderson's photo stood out so much because it was the only color photo. It was clear that that's the one that the police cared about. And so the victim picks that one. Uh, so that that was somewhat egregious, although she wasn't ordered to pick out his picture. Right. His picture just stood out. But a, a really interesting one is the case of Jennifer Thompson and Ronald Cotton in North Carolina. And what's amazing about it is that they've gone around the country talking about it together, about, mm. you know, she feels terrible that she picked out this innocent man, and he understands that she wasn't trying to do it either. Uh, there's a short movie uh, featuring both of them on this Getting It Right website that I did about the book with yeah. the Innocence Project. And the third person who's in there is, is the police officer who, who later became chief who did the lineup. And he said, look, I had no idea that what I was doing uh, was contaminating her memory. Wow. He had no idea, but it did. And what she says was, you know, she looks at the lineup, she can't decide. He, he looks most like the attacker of the people in it maybe, but she's hesitating between two people she can't pick. They then repeat him in a second live lineup, and he's the only one repeated. And that indicates mm -hmm. to her, well, that's the one sure. they care about. Sure. She still can't decide. She's still really unsure. And the police say, look, uh, can you be sure here? 
And she ultimately picks Ronald Cott, and they say, good job, that's the one you saw before, that's the one. Hmm. And she describes how this wave of relief washed over her. And from that moment on, she's absolutely sure. Right. right. Even though she can't identify him initially. The first time she can't identify him. The second time she's going back and forth. She doesn't know what to do. She stands there for five minutes. But once the police tell her, good job, you did it, at trial she's absolutely confident it's him. And then at a hearing later on, uh, Ronald Cotton sees this guy in prison who he thinks looks like the uh, composite drawing. He mm-hmm. thinks that's the guy who did it. They bring him in for the hearing, and she says, I've never seen that guy in my life. <laughs> DNA later shows that that was the actual culprit. Cotton, this innocent man, found the culprit in prison on his own. Good grief. Uh, just an incredible story. And uh, But the police weren't doing anything intentional to try to cause this to happen. They gave her feedback, which they shouldn't have done. Right. They repeated only one person, which sort of singled him out as the one that they cared about. Subtle things like that can cause an innocent man to go to prison for a long time. Do you have a story in Convicting the Innocent about a man named Ricardo Rachel or Kel, a man who had trouble speaking, but that didn't stop people from claiming they heard him, they knew who he was, and he was the criminal? Right, an incredible Texas case. Uh, You know, a man who was pretty distinctive looking, uh, he had been disfigured because of an injury, uh, and uh, had real trouble speaking. But, of course, the, uh, you know, the victims had described the attacker talking to them and saying things to them. Uh, you know, there's really no explanation for, for how this made sense and how he could be the one who did it. But by the time of trial, you know, the eyewitnesses were sure. Uh, and, and that was true across all of these cases. Tons of cases where the person who becomes the defendant at trial doesn't really look like the person the eyewitness initially described. But almost without exception... Except for one or two of these cases, the eyewitnesses, and there are a lot of eyewitnesses, you know, there are eyewitnesses in 190 cases, the eyewitnesses were absolutely confident at trial. Yep. They said it's either him or his twin brother. Right. I'm 100% sure. Yep. I'm 120% sure. You know, there's an image burned in my mind. I will never forget this. And for many of them, you know, these are victims mostly of rapes because you can mostly do DNA testing in rape cases. Right. So it's a big collection of mostly sexual assault cases. These rape victims are brave to come forward. They've just described a horrible ordeal that they've gone through. It is not something that they want to do to have to face this person in the courtroom. And uh, and they're describing how this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. This is this incredibly stressful encounter. I thought I was going to get killed. I remember that face. Exactly. And they do, and they think they do, but tragically, they don't in many cases. When we come back more with Professor Brandon Garrett, he's the author of the book Convicting the Innocent, Where Criminal Prosecutions Go Wrong. Question something like the witness identification issues. Where is the Supreme Court taking us? Do they care about this? In fact, uh, how good is the Supreme Court on allowing in appeals DNA testing long after the original trial. We'll be back for those questions and more right here on Culture Shocks. I'm Barry Lynn. Are your cable rates rising? Tired of being pushed around by your provider? It's time to push back. Cut the cable and get Dish installed with absolutely no equipment to buy. Here's the best part. Packages start at just $19.99 a month for an entire year. That's right. Call now and get Dish installed free. Plus HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, and Stars free for three months. If you call in right now, Dish will also throw in free HD for life. PMG Dish, a Dish authorized retailer, is waiting for your call and can have you watching TV as soon as tomorrow. Call 800 800- 
800-943-1365. Imagine all your favorite movies, sports, and shows in crystal clear digital quality for far less money, and you won't have to deal with the cable company anymore. At only $19.99 per month, they're practically giving it away. Call now for full details. Call 800-943-1365. That's 800-943-1365. Again, 800-943-1365. Limited time off for prices, packages, and programming subject to change without notice. 24-month agreement required. Cancellation fees, auto pay, and paperless billing, and other restrictions apply. Call for details. Get ready to be floored. Cars Land has come to life at Disney California Adventure Park. And you could be there for all the excitement. Be among the first to zip through the scenic roadways of Radiator Springs. Meet some of your favorite friends along the way. Then get ready for a head-to-head race to the finish line. Hitch a ride for some square dancing hijinks at Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. Hop on Luigi's Flying Tires and glide, spin, and literally float on air. It's the world of Disney Pixar Cars movie. Brought to life and fully loaded with fun for every member of your pit crew. Zoom on over to KCAARadio.com right now for a chance to win tickets from KCAA, 1050 AM, to experience Cars Land at Disney California Adventure Park. Are your cable rates rising? Tired of being pushed around by your provider? It's time to push back. Cut the cable and get Dish installed with absolutely no equipment to buy. Here's the best part. Packages start at just $19.99 a month for an entire year. That's right. Call now and get Dish installed free. Plus HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, and Stars free for three months. If you call in right now, Dish will also throw in free HD for life. PMG Dish, a Dish authorized retailer, is waiting for your call and can have you watching TV as soon as tomorrow. Call 800 943 Imagine all your favorite movies, sports, and shows in crystal clear digital quality for far less money, and you won't have to deal with the cable company anymore. At only $19.99 per month, they're practically giving it away. Call now for full details. Call 800-943-1365. That's 800-943-1365. Again, 800-943-1365. Limited time off for prices, packages, and programming subject to change without notice. 24-month agreement required. Cancellation fees, auto pay, and paperless billing, and other restrictions apply. Call for details. Attention dieters. How do you like to get paid $1,000 simply for losing ugly fat? Now you can. How many more attempts at losing weight are you going to endure before you understand the fact that almost all diets are impossible to stick to? Have you fallen into dieters' despair? Now you can receive $1,000 as part of a real-life weight loss program underway from coast to coast. Amazing breakthrough hunger-smashing smoothies are now available to the general public. This hunger-smashing smoothie, called Slendaline, allows you to lose weight rapidly and effectively without a doctor's prescription. All participants who get paid $1,000 will be documented proof that this revolutionary hunger-smashing smoothie, Slendaline, outperforms every other diet when used by real people in real life. Call now and get paid $1,000 simply for losing ugly fat. Call 800-417-3445. That's 800-417-3445. Call 800-417-3445. Again, 800-417-3445. Are you working harder than ever at your job, but find yourself getting nowhere? 
Do you hate spending hundreds of dollars every week on daycare, having someone else raise your children? With our free information, you can lead a happier life, work from home, and start earning money as soon as next week. I was a, a traditional business owner, and our business was affected greatly by the economy, so we are looking for another income stream. It allowed me to actually walk away from a 16-year career and part owner in a traditional business just after eight months. Go to freedom105.com, get out of the rat race, work from home, and start earning great money as soon as next week. I'm a single mom. Before this business, I was over $90,000 in credit card debt alone. And now we go to Disneyland, Disney World. We've been on vacations to Hawaii. I never could have done that before this business. Go to freedom105.com right now and change your life today. That's freedom, the number 105.com. Freedom105.com. And start earning great money as soon as next week. Real talk for real people. Right here in the Inland Empire. We are 1050 AM KCAA. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. All right, we are back right here on Culture Shocks. I'm your host, Barry Lynn. We're talking to Professor Brandon Garrett to the University of Virginia's Law School, the author of the book, Convicting the Innocent, Where Criminal Prosecutions Go Wrong. How wrong? How about a life sentence? How about putting you on death row? Because somebody, even people who honestly thought they saw you commit a crime, turn out with DNA testing, not to be the person who committed the crime. So, Professor Garrett, uh, let's go to the Supreme Court for a second. First, under what circumstances can a, a defendant demand, and then, I mean, you can always demand stuff, but actually receive a DNA test? At what points post-trial is the court willing to say, yep, we're willing to have you be tested? Well, the way it used to work was normally once your trial was over, you might have a short period of time where yep. you can try to get new evidence, uh, and then and then time's up. That's it. Yep. Uh, you know, in Virginia, we have a 21-day rule. 21 days after the judgment is entered, that's all the time you have to introduce something new. If uh, some new evidence, even amazing evidence of innocence, comes up years later, too bad, mm. except that Virginia passed a statute in the wake of some DNA exonerations providing a special writ of innocence type of opportunity to ask mm. for DNA. And basically, the states have done that yeah. uh, because it was so embarrassing that you'd have this evidence, much more reliable than anything at trial usually, come up years and years later. And so even though the traditional idea was finality, once it's over, it's over, you know, the best opportunity to test the evidence is before the jury. Well, now that's changed, especially over the last 10 years. Was that because of statutes in other states or because of any intervention by the Supreme Court? It was all because of the states. Yep. In fact, the Supreme Court's refusal to recognize a claim of innocence in 1993, really just as this DNA stuff was starting. Right. The Supreme Court refuses to recognize a, a right of innocence under the Constitution. They say, look, maybe hypothetically in a serious death penalty case, if someone had evidence of innocence, maybe we would do something with that, but that's just a hypothetical. We're not going there now. Well, how about on the uh, other and, and so the, the burden falls on the states if the federal courts really can't consider innocence claims. And, and actually, the result has been that the states have passed, almost without exception, there's one state that doesn't have one, they've passed these DNA statutes. Of course, the statutes are not perfect. Nope. And there's still people who could, in theory, prove their innocence 
maybe quite powerfully with DNA, who still have a hard time getting it. How often did you find in the review of these transcripts what you would characterize as inept defense counsel? That is, people maybe got out of law school with a C average, never took a clinic, never uh, had any direct involvement during their law school years, maybe graduated last month, who are defending people in very serious criminal cases. Well, these were mostly very serious criminal cases, right? pretty yep. aggravated rapes, plenty of murders as well. And uh, most of these people were indigent and they couldn't afford their own lawyer, although some of the ones who did pay a lawyer probably shouldn't have. Uh, some of those lawyers were the worst. Yeah. Uh, the most common claim that they brought after their appeal was that their lawyer was ineffective, and they almost never had any success arguing that before courts. But later on, you know, you can look at these trial transcripts and see just outrageous mistakes by the lawyers. And what you never know is just, you know, how badly did they investigate the case? What witnesses were there that, you know, could have made a difference at trial that, that you know, uh, had been lost to us because they never followed up? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know that they're just obvious cases. Just, just looking at the DNA, they're obvious cases where there was DNA available at the time of trial and the defense lawyers didn't bother to ask for a test. Right. Sometimes right. even judges later on would say, oh, well, the lawyer didn't bother, but, you know, sure. what, what difference would DNA make? And that, of course, looks particularly ironic and stupid, you know, now that the DNA shows the person's innocent. Uh, also on the science, forensic science, there are a ton of cases here, and it's a whole separate subject where the forensic analysts misstated the science, made just flat-out errors. It was rare, you know, less than half the time did the defense lawyer even ask a question about that mistake just on the stand. Right. They didn't understand the forensics. With the eyewitnesses, they usually did try to, you know, cross-examine the eyewitness. Uh, Hard for them to do much about it, though, if the eyewitness is absolutely confident that this is the guy. You know, what do you do with a witness like that whose memory has already been contaminated long before the trial? Well, now, when it it comes to what people learn, since no longer do we, in fact, uh, care much about... the process of the criminal justice system, cable televisions interested in missing blonde women, that's pretty much it. The days of having, I mean, I used to do as a lawyer, I mean, I used to do shows uh, about Supreme Court issues, really kind of technical stuff on CNN every once in a while. I mean, it's like, forget about it. I haven't been asked to do one of those, uh, you know, for years and years. You've got this forensic evidence that looks really important and impressive, in television shows, not the real shows, the fictional ones, the CSI shows that seem to multiply you know, every season. Does the, do those shows give people a false sense of security about the use of scientific evidence? I mean, how many times do they show on CSI some royal screw-up like the ones in your book? Well, they don't. There's some shows now, there's a wonderful front line uh, on, yes. on fingerprint and forensics yes. that just came out this last year, uh, which shows just how, how, you know, how serious the problems with something like fingerprints are. And we all know that fingerprints do have a lot of information, and then there's something there for the scientists to, to look at, at least. Uh, but there's a lot of subjective judgment with fingerprints. And putting to one side something like fingerprints, you know, how about hair comparisons or tooth marks or yeah. bullets that are mass-produced objects? There's a whole host of forensics in these cases that were botched. The 
techniques were probably unreliable to begin with, but we just don't know because they've never been validated. But you talk in the book about research by N.A. Sayre, ideas that you embrace in general about standards for things like voice identification, bite mark evidence. But how do you put that into a statute, or how, do it, how does a judge look at the proper or the improper use of bite mark evidence? Yeah, so... Uh, very few cases have DNA these days. Mm-hmm. E- even in the CSI era, you know, it's a few percent of criminal cases where you can do DNA. Most cases have these other types of forensics, like a bite mark, like a tool mark, uh, or a fingerprint, or a bullet comparison, something like that, where you're looking at stuff under the microscope in detail, and the examiner is making a comparison. There are no scientific standards for how much the things have to have in common for you to be able to say that they're a match. And what does the word match even mean? Sure. If you don't know, you know, is it one in a million people that would bite in that way? Right. Or is it one in a hundred, one in a thousand? If, if there are no statistics and you have no idea how common these kinds of markings are, then you're just sort of saying these two things look alike. And, yep. you know, these two things go together. It's like Sesame Street. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, judges have been really reluctant, even though they have a job to do gatekeeping. They understand that jurors may be blinded by science and that it's, you know, experts get a lot of deference sure. by the jury. Uh, but they've basically abdicated their gatekeeping. They sort of say, I don't know, this stuff has been let in for a long time. Let's just let it in. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's hard to know what's going to happen. Judges are, are still letting this stuff in uh, unless, you know, the scientific community is reformed from the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, the lawyers often don't sure. know how to ask questions to no. scientists. They don't have a science background. The judges don't either. The jurors may believe this stuff if they hear exaggerated scientific evidence. Uh, and so, you know, what the scientific community said when the National Academies of Science, this sort of august body, wrote this big report in 2009, they said, you know, our forensic system needs an overhaul. There, need to, there needs to be something like the National Institute of Health, something federal, to do research to make sure that these techniques actually work and to actually set out standards so everyone agrees what it means to say that two things match and you exactly. pick a word that actually describes what you're concluding. That's right. The National Academy of Sciences uh, that I was just looking at my notes, uh, I attributed it to a person named N.A. Sayre, but I see that it really yeah, says Academy of Sciences. Academy of and, you know, That's a pretty there's, big there's deal. There's legislation pending in Congress this fall <laughs> that would really implement a lot of their recommendations. Okay, hold it's not it. perfect. It's not as ambitious nope. as what they wanted, but there's this Rockefeller bill that would really go a long way to shaping up forensics in this country. All right, and uh, coming possibly before the United States Senate, uh, when it uh, comes back uh, next week or a couple of days from now, Um, but of course it is an election year. I wouldn't count on these things happening. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this conversation with Professor Brandon Garrett. He's the author of the book Convicting the Innocent. One way prosecutors sometimes convict the innocent is they go and look really hard for fellow cons, people who might have heard something while both he and the perpetrator allegedly are in jail together we'll be back on culture shocks can you see it can you feel it can you smell it yeah change is in the air this is nicole smith your host of change is in the air join me every saturday from 5 to 6 p.m right here on am 1050 and kcaa where we talk about change change we all go through keyword emphasis on through if you feel like you need a change then this show is for you we'll see you there
Need a job? Want to work in the mental health industry? If so, Valley Star Children and Family Services is hiring 30 new positions in San Bernardino. Valley Star Children and Family Services has positions for the county's new 14-bed crisis residential youth hostel for transition-age youth. Available positions include recovery counselors, program manager, therapists, vocational nurses, and more. Most require degree and license, but not all. So if you would like a new job working with young people at this brand-new facility in San Bernardino, come to the job fair on Friday, July 6th, located at 7 East Gilbert Street in San Bernardino. There are three sessions at 9.15 a.m., 11 a.m., or 2 p.m. Valley Star is hiring 30 people, so come to the job fair Friday, July 6th. Bring your resume and dress to impress. For job requirements, go to starsinc.com. That's starsinc.com. That's Valley Star Children and Family Services Job Fair, Friday, July 6th at their new facility, 780 Gilbert Street in San Bernardino. Go to starsinc.com for further information. That website again is starsinc.com for Valley Star Children and Family. See you at the job fair. Are you working harder than ever at your job, but find yourself getting nowhere? Do you hate spending hundreds of dollars every week on daycare, having someone else raise your children? With our free information, you can lead a happier life, work from home, and start earning money as soon as next week. I was a a traditional business owner, and our business was affected greatly by the economy, so we were looking for another income stream. It allowed me to actually walk away from a 16-year career and part owner in a traditional business just after eight months. Go to freedom105.com, get out of the rat race, work from home, and start earning great money as soon as next week. I'm a single mom. Before this business, I was over $90,000 in credit card debt alone. And now we go to Disneyland, Disney World. We've been on vacations to Hawaii. I never could have done that before this business. Go to freedom105.com right now and change your life today. That's freedom105.com. Freedom105.com. And start earning great money as soon as next week. Maryland license number 0016985. Michigan license number 5. Does this sound familiar? You have some credit card debt that you're struggling to pay each month, and you've already called one or more of those places that advertise. If you've got more than $10,000 of credit card debt. And now, you're getting calls and emails from all kinds of companies making all kinds of claims, but don't offer you any real help. Is that kind of what you're going through? Well, it's time for you to make just one more call to Credit Guard. Credit Guard is a nonprofit company that's helped tens of thousands of Americans cut their monthly payments by up to half, and they can help you too. Whether you have $2,000 of debt or $200,000, it doesn't matter. Call Credit Guard for real help right now. 1-800-268-8608. That's 1-800-268-8608. Credit Guard will help you reduce your debt. Call 1-800-268-8608. That's 1-800-268-8608. Call right now. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah! No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. Four reasons for four seasons now. Call 1-800-956-4545 today. That's 1-800-956-4545. Call 1-800-956-4545 now.
Looking to save up to 50% on home improvement materials? Stop by the Habitat for Humanity Restore in Redlands, your discount home improvement store. We sell home goods such as furniture, appliances, building materials, and tools at a fraction of the retail cost. And all the proceeds help fund the construction of Habitat homes within the community. We're just off the Mountain View exit on the 10 freeway. Call us at 909-799-6738 or go to www.habitatforhumanity.net. The Restore gladly accepts donations and is always looking for volunteers. Now back to Culture Shocks with Barry Lynn on the Genesis Communication Network. We're back and we're talking about DNA exoneration. Not the only way, but a way that's been terribly useful in defense of uh, criminal trials and very important serious crimes, including sexual assaults, murder, armed robbery, and so on. We're talking with Brandon Garrett. He's a professor of law at the University of Virginia and the author of the book Convicting the Innocent. Uh, the case of David Gray back in the 1970s, an Illinois rape case, leads to a hung jury. It's tried again, and I, I want to remind people that doesn't mean it violates double jeopardy. You get a hung jury, the prosecutor can decide to try it all over again. The prosecutor in Mr. Gray's case decided to uh, talk to fellow cons of David Gray, people in jail. Um, what did they find when they uh, went searching for convicts who may have heard something in the slammer? Well, it's just amazing story where, lo and behold, uh, they found someone in the slammer who yeah. really wanted to help wow. them. And uh, he, uh, he claimed to have overheard all kinds of details. He said, you know, Gray told me about how he pulled the telephone off the wall uh, after committing this assault. He was wearing these kind of flashy 1970s wine-colored shoes. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the prosecutor who loses, gets a hung jury at the first trial, and so he decides to scour the jail cells because I need something else if we're going to try this case right. again. Um, and so he, he clearly goes into the jail cells with a mission. Uh, you know, this is in the lockup by the courthouse, and so the, you know the inmates may have heard stuff going on in the court. This is a trial of a pretty big case, a serious rape case. Um, and uh, you know, the informant, of course, says, "Oh, I, I'm, I'm just testifying out of my sense of duty as a good citizen." Yeah. Right. I'm just I'm a good Samaritan. I, when I heard about this crime, it made me sick. You know. Uh. Um, but, of course, the, uh, the prosecutor did have to kind of admit that, well, actually, we've used this guy in the past. Uh, he's, you know, a repeat informant. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but we, of course, we didn't offer him any deals or anything like that. Well, now, that raises two questions. The prosecutor in most of these cases following a hung jury where the new witness turns out to be a con, uh, maybe a con in multiple ways, are the prosecutors generally kind of sincere or do they knowingly put on false testimony? Well, that's a real good question here. You know, in some of these cases, it's come out later that actually the prosecutor did have a deal with this person, yeah. with the informant. You don't have to tell the jury that. They, they could, the jury can probably guess that, they're, that there's a deal, yeah. Uh, yeah. even if the informant claims to be a good Samaritan. Uh, and uh, what's also interesting is, you know, in how many cases, you know, did the police or prosecutor, were they the ones who told the informant what to say? Mm-hmm. You know, in this one, this guy was in the, the courthouse lockup. Maybe he heard some of these details through word of mouth. 
Uh, in some of the other cases, the informants have even come forward and said, oh, yeah, it was the prosecutor who told me what to say. They told me about the crime. Great. Uh, and that's really, you know, that's, that looks like they're just fabricating. Of evidence. course. Um, how often are prosecutors found to have made prejudicial statements in their closing to the jury? I mean, you do have great latitude in making a closing jury argument, but you don't have an unfettered right to just say anything. You can spin, but what's the point where spinning becomes lying in that closing argument from a standpoint of an appeals court, for example? Well, appeals courts are pretty reluctant to do anything yeah. about it if prosecutors cross the line in their closings. What's the worst example out of these 250 cases of prosecutors making well making statements that go well beyond the evidence they presented? Well, in terms of emotional impact, there's a prosecutor in Oklahoma who was pretty notorious in death penalty cases for getting rebuked time and time again by mm -hmm. appellate courts. They would usually say, well, it was harmless here, but this is really disgusting. You know, we hope he stops. <laughs> and, of course, he didn't <laughs> stop, and they would say it over and over again. Uh, and in Curtis McCarty's case, the prosecutor says, I wonder if he was grinning and laughing that night when he murdered the victim. Right. Uh, you know, he says, he killed that girl. He needs to pay for it. I want justice. Uh, he needs to be convicted of murder one. Uh, you know, some others where they, the prosecutor will say, you know, do you want this defendant to go home with you today and go down that elevator with you? Hmm. Is that what you want? Hmm. Do you want him cruising the neighborhood in his, you know, silver Oldsmobile? Uh, you know, there are other examples where prosecutors outright misstated the facts, and those are those are pretty disturbing too. You know, there was an amazing one in Pennsylvania where the the hair examiner delivered some pretty vague and and questionable hair testimony, uh, but the analyst was hesitant about saying it matched the defendant. In fact, the hairs were so tiny, hmm. the analyst was reluctant to say much about them at all. But said, "Oh yeah, they're similar." And then the Similar. prosecutor in the closing says, you heard what the scientist said. Those hairs came from the defendant, him right there, and points at him. And the defendant says, wait a minute, that's not what the analyst said at all. And the judge says, oh, uh, the jury can remember. In other words, when you say the defendant said, you mean the defense counsel for the defendant objects. He objects and tells, says, judge, the yes. prosecutor just told the jury a lie. <laughs> prosecutor just told the jury a flat-out lie. That's not what the scientist said. Scientists could never conclude something like that. The judge says, well, I don't know. I remember something. I don't, I'm not sure. The job of the jury is to remember stuff, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's good when they're, when they're awake. Now, uh, by the way, when you have a conversation like that in a criminal case, the defendant objects. Is this heard, this objection, this, well, the jury supposed to... Is that heard by the jury or not? Is uh, it a, hopefully it, not, right? The, the, you, in other words, a private conference with... Right. Yes. There would be a private conference with the judge. And, and you know, generally, prosecu prosecution misconduct was mm. the most common claim yeah. that these people brought up after their trials. They argued that the prosecutors concealed evidence, that they crossed the line in closings, that they did other kind of shady things, especially concealing evidence of innocence, actually. And they typically lost when they raised those arguments. Right. But over the years since, especially because these are high-profile cases once DNA came into the picture, We've discovered that actually, yes, police and prosecutors hit a lot of serious evidence exactly. of innocence. Exactly. No, we we actually just uh, spent a whole show talking to a guy who was released recently in a cap from death row uh, after it was abundantly clear that the prosecutor had had hidden a large amount of exculpatory that is uh, evidence that the defense could have used. You know, back in the 70s and early 80s, when politicians were running for president, there was a lot of talk about crime. You got the sense 
sense from more conservative political figures that every street criminal ended up going to the Supreme Court and somehow getting let off on a technicality. None of that was true even then. It's not even discussed anymore. In your judgment, as a law professor and lawyer, how useful are appeals? In what percentage of cases do criminal defendants make does it make a difference that they have at least the right to appeal to, you know, a federal circuit court? You know, we know that only 2% of the cases that are appealed to the Supreme Court are even taken. In fact, it's getting less uh, than that in recent years. Uh, they're too busy over there and going to opera together, I guess. But how, what, what difference did the right of appeal have if the appeals courts are not saying very clearly and very concisely, you have done the following things wrong, and we're calling you the prosecutor, you the police, you the state on this. I think it's a, it's a real myth that we have these yeah. upper courts that will, that will hold the trial judges accountable. It's a, it's a myth. Uh, it would be impossible for the appellate courts and the appellate judges and the habeas judges to keep up with just the vast numbers of people that we process in our criminal justice system. I mean, for starters, the system only works in this country if thousands and thousands and thousands of people plead guilty every day yep. with no trial and no right to an appeal. It just doesn't work otherwise. And, and so, you know, 95 or more percent of all criminal defendants plead guilty, yep. and they waive the right to file anything challenging it later. In very limited circumstances, they might be able to file habeas if something really went wrong with the guilty plea process. Then the people who go to trial, and very few people go to trial. Right. Uh, Appeals are granted in, you know, less than 1% of cases, tiny percent of cases, and then exactly. habeas, even less so. Yeah, when uh, former Attorney General under Ronald Reagan, Ed Meese, said, you know, pretty much we don't prosecute people unless they're guilty, uh, of course that was widely and honestly criticized. Uh, on the other hand, uh, when you talk about 95% of the people just saying, look, uh, I am guilty, um, a lot of them are. I mean, that's the kind of the weird thing about the, the criminal justice system is police, notwithstanding all of these stories of incredible misconduct, in fact, in a large percentage of these cases, they do get the right guy, and the guy knows he's going to get a better deal saying, uh, yep, I did it, I confess. Well, you know, yeah, a lot of cases are easy and people are caught in the yeah. act. Right? Yeah, uh, You know, a lot of people are caught in the act at the crime scene, and there's no question about innocence or guilt. The question is, you know, how serious a punishment do they really deserve? These cases are harder cases, the cases where it's a murder and no one saw what happened, or the sexual assault cases where it's a stranger and you have to find this person who did this mm. terrible thing. It's the harder yep. cases that may more often go to trial. That's right. And more likely to find uh, problems where you do, as the book says, convict the innocent. Convicting the innocent by Brandon Garrett, out now in paperback, and uh, is a terrific read. It's got all the things you miss if you only watch CSI on television uh, twice a night. We'll be back tomorrow for more on Culture Shocks. I'm Barry Lynn. This edition of Culture Shocks has been produced by Diane Robinson, engineered by Dwayne Davis, and the Genesis Communication Network technical staff. Visit us online at cultureshocks.com. KCAA Loma Linda. with the CM1050 News Update. Three people have been killed in two separate motorcycle wrecks in the Inland Empire. 
The accidents happened Wednesday, one near Indio and the other near Lake Arrowhead. Two people were killed and three others injured when a motorcycle and a truck collided on Dillon Road in Sky Valley. Another person died in an accident involving a bike and two cars on Highway 18 at Delta Avenue. The victims' names have not been released. Five people are under arrest in connection with running a pricey pot farm in a remote area south of Hemet. Sheriff's deputies stumbled upon the three-acre parcel in the community of Sage on Tuesday. They found some 200 pot plants and 100 pounds of dried marijuana with a street value of $1 million. The men, who ranged in age from 19 to 23 years old, were arrested and placed on immigration holds. Here's the latest from Inland Empire News Radio. I'm Jim Nance. Opening statements have been given on the trial of a Riverside man for the cold case murders of two Victorville men in 1991. Octavio Romero once lived with one of the victims. He was arrested earlier this year. Four areas around Riverside and Meat Valley are being treated for the Asian citrus psyllid. Owners of 5,000 properties are being notified as an all-out effort to control the past has been mounted. Spokesman Steve Lyle of the State Office of Food and Agriculture says it is a two-pronged approach which began last December with the release of a tiny parasitic wasp at UC Riverside. The objective is to uh, reach a point, if at all possible, where you're relying less on pesticides and more on a biological approach. Psyllid poses one of the worst threats ever to California's citrus industry. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 